0: Welcome to 2Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, perhaps the biggest win of the season this past weekend. To me, it was the biggest. What did you think of that win over Pitt on Thursday night?
1: I think it has to be the biggest win of the season for us. It, a lot was on the line. We were in a location that, like we talked about, against Syracuse and the Carrier Dome. We thought people weren't really paying attention to it. It's become abundantly clear that the coaches talked about it. They were upfront about it. They didn't want players reading on message boards or otherwise what was happening in the game. So it was top of mind that we hadn't won up at Heinz Field, and they came out, and they did it. A huge game, a lot on the line, and very exciting for the Hokies. It really
0: was, man. Why don't you give us a cheers and – Maybe it's something to that effect.
1: Well, I think my cheers is going to be a little different than that. Uh, my cheers, my hat goes off to Pat and Arduzzi's team, not Pat <laughs> not Pat and Arduzzi. They played a hell of a game. I texted you. We went back and forth during the game, and I tried to take a step back while it was happening and appreciate what we were watching on the field, which ended up being a very exciting game, which also stopped the hearts of a lot of Hokies fans. I get that. But for once, I had a full appreciation of what other people were seeing watching it. And I thought the Pip Panthers came out and played a great game. I thought Narduzzi was a complete jerk during most of the game. A lot of that was playing up to the refs and officials. And his post-conference comments were outrageous at best. So hat tip to Pat Narduzzi for your loss this year against the Virginia Tech Hokies. And I mean that. (laughs) <laughs> From the bottom of my heart. Cheers, man.
0: <clears throat> that really was a big hurdle for this team to overcome. And Narduzzi, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but he just looked like a fool out there for most of the night. VT1, 39-36. And this is one of the few full four-quarter games we had this year. You know, against ECU and BC, our starters were out of the game. Tennessee kind of got a little out of hand. And even in the game we lost at Syracuse, by the end, it, you know, it was kind of a lost cause almost. So this was a full game of war. It was a gritty win by Virginia Tech. And going to Heinz and getting our first win there, I didn't know if it was going to happen. But I felt better about it this year than I felt in a long time. And we were able to come through. It was, again, a slower start for Virginia Tech than we'd really like. We had three straight field goals in the red zone to start the game, and it was only 9-0, and I think we both knew after we couldn't get in the end zone after those first three drives that we were in for a long fight.
1: It was a lost opportunity, and commenting on the game is not the same as criticizing the coach is one thing i want to make clear many of you or some of you might follow us on twitter there's going to be things that people say about the game that they observe there's no way justin fuente is coming off the field or any of the players saying we did everything perfectly tonight and there's no reason that the fans shouldn't be able to kind of give their thoughts when we kick those three field goals I knew that this was going to be a close game because we couldn't. This was a susceptible red zone defense, Mm -hmm. and we did not take advantage of those opportunities. And at that point, no matter what happened in the next quarter or two quarters, I knew at the end it was going to come down to being a close game, and it, it ended up being. So, just like
0: we feared, Pitt comes down the field. Scores a touchdown on their first red zone attempt, and now it's nine seven. And even though we had three drives that were all close, we're only up by two. We finally scored a TD on the pass to Chris Cunningham to make it sixteen to seven. But Pitt again responded super quick, came right down the field uh, at the end of the first half after the big play to Orndoff, and they scored right before the half. Connor, his uh, second touchdown of the game at that point, and. You know, they were only down two points at the half, even though we seem to have dominated the half.
1: And we didn't... The one thing I will say, because I'm not going to bring it up as a positive or negative, but I think we could have taken a shot there. And that was a little disappointing going into halftime and the overall stature of the game. We kind of had a freebie. Justin Fuente has shown a propensity, and I think we're going to see it moving forward not to take those opportunities. I thought that that was kind of a freebie chance, especially our success in the long game to go into the second half and maybe change the landscape of the game. Even if you get a long pass, it, it kind of changes the tempo. Instead, we went in on our heels a little bit.
0: You're right, and I was hoping that during halftime we would adjust to whatever that red zone issue we were having. Pitt started off with the ball. They come right down the field again to start the third quarter and go up 21-16. to 16. We responded with a field goal. And Evans was kind of injured right before that field goal attempt, nineteen twenty-one. Then another field goal on a drive by Motley to give us a 22-21 lead. And then we ended the third quarter with Evans coming back into the game and got a TD to Marshawn Williams after a really nice pass to Bucky and a perfect drop to uh, Cam Phillips like right before the goal line. And Cam got, got us really close, and Marshawn ran it in on the next play. And so we take at that point a twenty-nine twenty-one lead at this to start the fourth quarter. And Pitt then got a little bit funny around the goal line and had a running play to an offensive lineman on a reverse after multiple runs by Connor to get him in position. And then Connor got the two point conversion and it's twenty nine twenty nine. But what did you think about that offensive lineman scoring a touchdown?
1: I said <laughs> hat tip to Narduzi's team, not him specifically. <laughs> It was a great play. Uh, I attest it to their offensive coordinator, not the head coach. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just me being mean. It was a great play, well-schemed, and even better executed. A lot of those plays that you put up on the board and you kind of draw it out, they look really great. You think you can catch somebody off guard, but it really comes down to the players executing, and I thought they did a great job, and it was absolutely something to watch it's not something that you're going to see many times this year and hats off for a great play and
0: I think you should give the offensive coordinator credit it's Matt Canada I think he was at NC State last year and we had defended them really well uh when we played NC State in Blacksburg last year last year you'll remember we we kind of you know were able to hem that in but like Connor's a different animal and he went off in this game and that was part of the reason Pitt was able to stay in it so long we got a field goal after a 10 play drive on another red zone failure to make it 32 to 29. And we scored a touchdown on a three play drive after that on the crazy catch to Isaiah Ford to go up, what was it? Th- uh, 39 30. to 29, right? Yeah. So we had a 10 point lead. And at that 10 point lead, you're feeling pretty good. But I know I was still really nervous. There was enough time on the clock for Pitt to make a comeback and they, they to their credit they had a ninety yard drive, seven plays and the uh, pass to Wia and it made it thirty nine thirty six. And at that point my you know, my butthole got super tight, let me say that well, <laughs> now,
1: I didn't feel good after we went up ten points because of what James Conner was doing. I knew they were gonna gash us and, and what the tight end was doing and getting open. What do you have? I think it was ninety something yards on two catches, two catches at one catches, point. Yeah. And James Conner is a beast, and he showed it. I didn't feel that great when we went up 10 points. I, I had a good feeling that they were going to score, and they did. So they kicked it off to us with two minutes and 30 seconds
0: left, just about. And Motley was in the game at this point. So Evans had gotten us down the field to score that pass to Ford. But they put Motley in at the end of the game, and he ran like nine yards in the first, first down and nearly got us a first down right there. And so the next two plays, though, we had to sweat it out. And Cam Phillips made a great effort to get that first down um, on a third down play. And that, was, that gave us enough time to, you know, or enough plays to salt away the clock. We won 39-36, and it was as close as it gets. It, it really could have gone the other way. Even though I felt like we dominated the game, at no point were we safe.
1: Because of what happened early on in the game. We should have been up. This should have been, we won by three. We probably, if you say that, let's be let's be kind of conservative here. Out of four of those red zone field goals, we probably should have got two of them. So it should have been, what, 14, a 17-point game instead of a three-point game is the way I think about it. And or minus two, so yeah, it's it, well we it had didn't, uh,
0: <laughs> we had six field goals, six red incredible. zone field goals, like that is unbelievable. The longest field goal was thirty seven yards, so that means it was kicked essentially from the twenty. So that's yeah. basically six red zone field goals. And you're right, if if just two of those six go the other way, this is a much different game. But they didn't, and that's to Pitt's credit. Like even though you know you you said it. Earlier, like their red zone defense isn't that good. They were giving up a ton of touchdowns in the red zone, but we could not poke through. And you know, I did question a few of Fuentes' play calls down there. They were kind of we were passing so much, but then it would be third down in the red zone, and we'd run the football. Um,
1: it, was, it, it was it was it kind was of a peculiar. little bit qu- little little strange, but I guess the point point being, overall, it was a hard fought battle. It was a good game, so much more exciting. I watched it again. It's exciting knowing the outcome. If you watch it just, you know, objectively, not as a VT fan, just as reviewing the film, it really was a good game. The amount of long runs, long passes, the catches that Isaiah Ford made, it ended up being a really exciting game.
0: It was. It was good television. If you were just a fan of college football and you watched this game, you were thoroughly entertained for three plus hours. The biggest positive and probably biggest story of this game was Evans and the receivers. Just the constant passing again and again down the field. Not particularly long, but 25, 30, 40 yards. And Evans just kept putting it up, trusting Ford, Phillips, and Hodges. And they kept coming down with it. Combined, 466 of our 556 yards in this game were by Bucky Cam and Phillips. So, or Bucky, Cam and Ford. So that was only 90 yards was left over for everybody else, but 466 were just those three guys.
1: Yeah. So now we get to break out starting with the QB and the past game. Some of the stats that we've been running uh, in the off season, there were a few stats that aren't available at college football that are available at the pro level. So we decided to watch every single game and track them ourselves I have a few here that are pretty interesting, but I'll pick out two of note. Before this game, Evans was targeting receivers on completions about 12.9 yards beyond the line of scrimmage on receptions. So that's not just total passes. That's, that's just on receptions. This game, it was 15.4. But if you break it down a little bit further than that, most amazing stat prior to Pitt, Evans' completion percentage... And I broke it down into distances of less than 10 yards, 10 to 20, and more than 20 yards. And in that respective order was 83% completion, obviously 10 or less, 52 and 41. Those same stats against Pitt were 67% less than 10 yards, 10 to 20 was 47%, and beyond 20 yards was 73%. (laughs) Oh my God. He completed 73% of his passes beyond 20 yards. Compared to 41 in the games prior to that,
0: and that wasn't a small sample size. He had 40 pass attempts, I think.
1: <laughs> it was a pretty
0: large sample size, actually. And so, it, that, like I said, that was the story of this game. I, Bucky, in particular, for we've seen him make crazy catches for two seasons now. But Bucky, the way he was twisting around and adjusting to balls, like we said it in the Miami. Uh, recap we said it in this even the Syracuse recap that he's now just a really good receiver he's no longer a tight end trying to be a receiver he's a full-blown downfield threat receiver Uh, even plays in the middle he's been making a lot on you know kind of slants Uh, he's doing it all receiving wise and it's incredible this triple threat three-headed monster we have at receiver was awesome. And not only that, they were our leading rushers essentially. I mean, Cam had 43 yards rushing. Isaiah Ford had a 26-yard run. Ford had 169 total yards by himself and a touchdown in this game. And I should say, with that touchdown, he passed Antonio Freeman to set the tech all-time receiving touchdown record. So that is awesome and hats off to Isaiah Ford for that. We knew it was coming eventually, but he did it versus Pitt, which is which is great.
1: And he had that insane bobble catch which made all the highlights that he ended up you know they they went after it went off the guy's chest off to of somebody's knee shot up in the air and he kept at it and got the ball back that was pretty incredible then he had another one on the sideline on the i think it was second down going out of bounds they overturned that i don't think they had enough evidence to oh overturn no way that. And that was another great catch. And then he finished it off with a one hander that he tipped back to himself in the end zone for the touchdown. <laughs> he had and then he broke Virginia Tech's receiving touchdown receiving record all in the same night. What else what else do you want from him? He's still still underappreciated on a national level, which is incredible to me, despite his highlights being all over Sports Center at this point. And on that play where he ran the football for 26 yards he was
0: gonna pass it like that was hmm. i think a designed pass and it just didn't didn't come to be but i w- really wonder what would have happened on that if he had unleashed it but um maybe we we're better off because uh we ended up winning we didn't want any mistakes the other major story in this game and and we'll flip over to the negative side for a minute here was james connor and 141 yards three touchdowns and a 7.4-yard-per-carry average. There was a 3rd-and-18 play in this game where he damn near got 18 yards on 3rd down and like threw two of our guys to the ground in the process, but we were able to stop him. He was just running so hard, and they were making that offensive line, which we talked about going in, is a heralded, really strong unit. They were opening up holes for him, and I don't know why they weren't giving it to him more, honestly.
1: It was they had the one play out of their own end zone that they had to get some space for their punter and James Conner dragged three Hokies seven yards. And I watched it probably a couple times. You could maybe make the argument that it was only two Hokies players, but at the end there were three people on his back and he carried him seven yards beyond the line of scrimmage to get some space for the punter. He's just a talent. It's it's just a fact and no, there shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that watched this game, how well he played and what he did to the Hokies, the Hokies defense. I don't think Bud Foster would go back and review the film and th- see things that much differently that they could have done. Because even when we got contact, he's an impossible guy to bring down. He runs with such heart and emotion. He's just a talent. That's just the way it goes. Sometimes you play against really good people and your defensive scheme If you're going to play a well-balanced defense where you're covering the pass and you're covering the run, he's going to go off and he's going to have that kind of yardage. And it really shouldn't come as a surprise. He's done this to us before.
0: Not only that, but he's done it to all of the ACC. And that's one of the reasons that we were both so nervous about this game was because of him, and, and he definitely made us scared the entire time. The rush D was bad you know that that leads into that point point. 180 yards given up 5.6 yards per rush to pit as a team which included runs by their quarterback and we, we did do a good job on Henderson someone we were worried about he wasn't able to get outside too too much he had a couple of decent plays but uh on the one play Clark just lit him up which was cool he kind of like helicoptered around that was awesome spun him around it was an amazing play the bad red zone stuff was the last negative we had. We have already touched on it with the six field goals. We did go nine for nine in the red zone overall, but unfortunately, you know, six out of nine of those were field goals. On the other hand, Pitt was five for five in the red zone with five touchdowns. So that that was really the story. You know, if, if we were able to come to stop them in the red zone, we would have won by more. If we were able to score a few more touchdowns, we would have won by more. Because we, we're talking about a 29-17 first down advantage. Like, that's just controlling the game. And they they did a better job maximizing their, their efforts in the red zone. And that's something Pitt's done all season offensively.
1: There was a lot of commentary about us abandoning the run earlier. I think the run was – let's take the red zone out of it. The run was solely used to just make sure and keep the Pitt defense honest. That's what we were doing there. I would have loved to seen some more of maybe a screen, the sweeps, that kind of thing that people were getting a lot, very frustrated with early on in the game. But let's not kid ourselves. The only reason that that was on the field, if you don't think Justin Fuente knew that they weren't going to have a chance that night was just to keep the defense honest, to, to to continue to stack the box so that we can open up the fade route on the outside. The third down play calling was was not great especially in the red zone a few times one of the most frustrating one was the third down and two i think it was near the end of the third quarter. We threw deep a a few times with motley We would have had one t d that was in the end zone uh if not for the pass interference and then on third down, we run motley and i didn't I just didn't understand some of the play calling and maybe there was a rhyme or a reason to it. Some of it was. I think if you went back and looked at the film, and I think if Fuente and the team and Cornelison went back and looked at it, they'd be like, yeah, we we probably shouldn't have gone that direction. There was a little bit too much on, on the ground, and I understand, especially in the red zone, it gets very compacted. It's tough to throw the ball, but there were red zone places where on first down or second down, we had an open receiver, and there was a pass interference, or we just dropped the ball, and then we didn't go back to it.
0: Yeah, I would have liked to see maybe a few more toss sweeps to the outside. I felt like there was some susceptibility on the outside. We were doing it with the short passing game, but any of those attempts like up the middle, Marshawn had a little bit of success and even scored a touchdown, but 26 yards on 14 carries by our running backs. So that's it wasn't a good night for the the actual running backs. Cam Phillips had a nice night running outside, Uh, like I said, 43 yards for him, but... Just another poor rushing game by Virginia Tech, and really the only way we've been able to get yards up the middle is on draw plays a lot. Like, we haven't been able to power inside zone or inside runs at all this year, and that's something that bothers me, but, you know, as long as we win, I'm I'm cool with it. This, this was a game plan where Fuente, like, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to attack these defensive backs and put it up, trust our receivers against them, And it worked and we got the win and it could have been more if not for maybe a few play calls here and there. And, you know, a few failures in the red zone, but like his game plan pretty much worked and it worked well. Um, And I'd like to see more power rushing inside, but that's not really what this offense does. The only thing that surprised me was not a little bit more running on the outside because I felt like it was there in any case. It, it was good. It was a, it was a good effort by the offense overall. The defense left a little bit to, to be desired. I, I said Chuck Clark. You know he had a strong play on that one play, but he probably had the best game of anyone defensively. I thought he was in on a lot of plays. At one point, he even like kind of took James Con- Connor back with like one hand. It, there was this really weird play where Connor was running out the side. and Clark reached up, and I don't know if he hit him in the neck or something, but Connor like. Fell backwards and we took him down right after that. Clark made a lot of plays. He also got run over by Connor on a play here or there, but that's going to happen.
1: Also, I think the defense did a great job on stopping the jet sweep, which was some, a tool that Pitt has been using all season. And True. the speed that we showed on the outside to shut that down was 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 really strong. And you had a couple of interceptions that I thought were were really well. It should have been another interception. The one that went off the shoulder. I think it was Terrell Edmonds took one that was a bullet right down the center that he took off the shoulder. But a lot of good play by this secondary by the linebackers in making things happen and you know adjusting to what they were seeing because Nathan Peterman threw the ball a lot more than we probably anybody would have suspected going into this game.
0: Yeah, I would I would think I would have to agree with that. And I want to mention Divine Diablo because we mentioned him in the previous podcast and then he comes out in this game, makes a special teams play, forcing the fumble on Henderson wearing the number 25 yet again. And that number 25 is like every week it seems to have an impact. I'm wondering who's going to wear it this upcoming week. I'm looking forward to finding out. Let's just mention the Narduzzi crying about the calls again because we, we said it before, but gosh, was that guy a crybaby the other night? I'd I, never seen anything like that. I mean, and then when you contrast it with the way Fuente was acting, just you know, the the silent killer, just you know, arms folded, not reacting, just gonna not to get too high or too low on any play, and then you have this clown Narduzzi on the other side looking ridiculous. It, it was quite the contrast.
1: Yeah, I have ten read up about it a lot, and I tend to agree that it was it was all a game. So effectively, they had DBs that could not cover our wide receivers. Period. They, it was obvious they had no chance. I think that they were all instructed. After reading a lot about this, watching the game again, thinking about it, I think they were just instructed to keep doing it. Just keep keep you know pass interference. Just pull on the jersey. Do whatever you got to do. I'll take it on the chin, and I'll be the one that hems and haws on the sideline to make it look like that shouldn't have been pass interference, Hmm. that that shouldn't have been a penalty, that that, you know, what are you guys doing, even though it's clearly pass interference, and a lot of it, there's at least four plays that were blatant pass interference, probably many more than that when you look at it. So what you're suggesting is that Narduzzi told
0: his guys, like, I'm gonna act like a fool whenever you make a, a, a thing and complain about the calls, but keep doing it because that's our only shot.
1: Essentially, one hundred percent, absolutely, <laughs> because it makes sense. Because the, the that's past, interesting, the officials don't want to keep throwing the flag, right? At and the they end stop the throwing the flag. You're right, because it could have been
0: more pass interference.
1: Right, because it looks bad if the whole game is just nobody wants to watch, nobody cares, people are wondering what the hell's going on. Why why didn't the refs take care of this early and set, you know, set the tone for what the game was going to be called? There's repercussion on the ACC refs as well if they start flo- throwing flags the entire game. So, if I'm Narduzzi and I care only about winning, which is what most coaches actually care about, I'd do the same thing. I I wouldn't tell them what I'm going to do, but I would tell them just keep doing what you're doing. Do whatever it takes to stop people from catching the ball, and then I would handle it on the sidelines. I probably wouldn't be as much of an asshole as he was, but that's I think there was I think there was rhyme behind the reason there. The post game though was completely different because now the game's over. You've already lost, right. and he was equally as bad in the post game, if not worse. Because then he was calling out Virginia Tech players and what they were doing on the field. I don't care. I don't want to talk about him anymore. I don't want to, except till next season, because I actually like Pitt. I, I don't really mind them as a team. You know, I, I like the James Conner story. Now I hate them. They literally, in one Narduzzi in one game, switched me from somebody that was like, hey, I hope you do well this season, to now I I hope they lose every game next season.
0: Yeah, and I kind of agree. Like I I respected Narduzzi and respected Pitt, even though I hated them. But after watching that, like I really don't. Particularly his post game comments because they were ridiculous, and he got fined for that. Not much, but he did get fined. Only four penalties for us, so that was good. Um, The just finishing out the last couple things I had is Evan still, you know, great night for him. Four four oh six passing thirty. Three rushing yards, two touchdowns, and now he's still, you know, top fifteen in QBR and passer rating, with twenty four TDs and two picks on the season, one of which, as we keep saying, was was really not his fault. And he so he's averaging three touchdowns per game over his first eight games
1: at Virginia Tech. Awesome, and still getting talked about by nobody, <laughs> which is incredible. Like nobody is bringing him up, which I kind of love. I hope he kind of likes it as well. He gets to be the underdog, you know finishing up this season if he finishes up as well as he's been playing then he won't he'll he'll be on people's radar and people know that he's played well. I don't think people appreciate how well he's played he's had a he had a couple passes in this game that probably should have been picked
0: well there was a pick right. <laughs> And it got well, called back yeah. by a penalty.
1: <laughs> well, there was one. There was probably, I think it was two others that may, were not great decisions. So I don't think that we can use the Isaiah Ford uh, you know, tip drill that he ended up in an interception anymore. He probably should have been at like three or four now. But he's having a fantastic season. To your point, special teams was outstanding. And we didn't, we didn't give up the ball. If you look at what's happened in these games versus what happened in the first two of the season, the one thing that's been absolutely consistent throughout all of them, Gerard's been pretty consistent, he's been playing well, is we're protecting the football. And it's going underneath the radar because the only time fumbles and interceptions come up is when you lose a game. And the team is doing a fantastic job of protecting the football once again. Fuente took the lessons learned, he instilled it into the team, and now they're playing that way.
0: Yeah, that has that is really the key to this one because a turnover could have been completely di- the difference in this game. And we had two on them, which helped us, but we didn't capitalize on them really. So uh, one turnover could have been the difference in this game, and you're right, protecting the football was huge, and Evans has gotten so much better at that he was already good with the interceptions, but now he's locked down the fumble problem, it seems like. Let's just hope his ankle is good for Duke.
1: One more. We got to go one more thing. Hats off to Motley. He good. came in and in a tough position, showed that he studied the playbook, showed that he can protect the football. He had zero completions, I think, in any of those tosses, but he didn't do any damage and in a tough spot and gets little recognition on the team, especially as well as. Evans is playing. I thought he did a great job and at that end, at the end of the game to eat up more time instead of needing the ball, we decided to run it. He protected it and that defense, that defensive line, those linebackers are no joke and I think they showed it in this game. You know those guys were trying to rip that ball out. Oh yeah. And he held on to it for dear life, got a couple yards and ate up clock to finish off this game and deserves a lot of props for that. Good point on Motley. And after the game, he
0: even tweeted out like a, it was like, yeah, it's all about the team. Some some tweet like that. And it just shows you what kind of guy he is, because he could be sour grapes this entire year about not winning the starting job in his senior year to some guy who just got on campus. But he's a team guy and he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, just just being cool. Robbie,
1: what are you drinking? Right now, I am drinking a Ho Garden. So we had a uh, a nice little housewarming party at our place this uh, this past weekend. So I got to put a few things on tap. Now that I have the kegurator in the house fully functioning, and Ho Gardens, it's a Belgian beer. If you want me to read off the name of the brewery, then it's gonna be embarrassing for all of us. Um, I can I can tweet it out to people. How about that? But it, it involves Hogarten in the name of it. It's a Belgian white. It's only about four point nine percent. It's probably a surprise that I'm drinking this to most people that listen to the podcast, given how many IPAs I go. It's it's very delicious. It's a nice kind of soft Belgian white. Doesn't have too much alcohol content and really balanced it's a fantastic beer it's a good change of pace if you if you like things that are pretty hoppy or if you like you know Oktoberfest this is kind of a lighter more mainstream beer but it's not like drinking a bud light or anything it's 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 pretty nice it's got a nice wheat backbone to it and i like it a lot
0: i am having the rogue dead guy ale and This is because we're recording on Halloween night. It is October 31st. Uh, I live in an apartment building, so I don't get any trick-or-treaters. So I was cool with recording tonight. (laughs) But uh, we went a little bit later to avoid hearing Robbie's doorbell going off all evening. But um, the dead guy is – it's got a skeleton on the front, and it's got a very Halloween theme to it. It's from Oregon. Rogue Brewery is is pretty well-known and has big distribution, 6.5% alcohol. And it's somewhere between an ale and IPA because that, that is pretty strong, but got like a honey color. It's tasty. I, I wouldn't say I'm crazy about it, but it's a good solid ale. The dead guy ale from Rogue Brewing Company. This week's game is against Duke. Duke is 3-5 and five this year, and they're 0-4 in the ACC. As we all know, they're coached by David Cutcliffe. He's actually in his ninth season at Duke, which is kind of hard to believe. And he's taken them to four straight bowl games. And last year, he got their first bowl game win since 1961 in the Cotton Bowl. What he's done at Duke is nothing short of extraordinary. But with the loss of Scotty Montgomery and a bunch of playmakers, they're hurting a little bit this year.
1: They're hurting a lot this year, I think. They're the S and P rank has Duke, I think, at number seventy-two right now, about the same as last week. And you know the timing of those updates. But long story short, they're they're not doing very well this year. They they're struggling. They have wins against pretty much nobody. Their losses against Wake Forest, Northwestern, UVA, Louisville, and GT. And they beat, what, NC Central, Notre Dame, and Army. And I think most would think of that Notre Dame game as probably Cutcliffe doing his magic, or at least a fluke.
0: Yeah, that one was a little weird because the following week they went out and lost to UVA by two touchdowns. And I'll give them credit for the Army win. Army's been solid this year. They just beat Wake Forest. Uh, and they beat Temple earlier, who's 6-3. and three. But ultimately... Having three wins, and one of them being an FCS, and then uh, a struggling Notre Dame team on the road being by far your best win, not great. And no wins in conference so far, and they're halfway through their schedule. Their offense was already behind the defense, and it took another hit because Jayla Duncan, their dynamic running back, is now out for the season after tearing his Achilles, celebrating a touchdown last week against Georgia Tech. It's a real bummer for that team, a team that's already lost their starting quarterback in the offseason, Thomas Sirk, and Devon Edwards, their star kick returner and cornerback was making plays all over the field. He hurt himself a couple games ago. It's, it's unfortunate for Duke, and, and, and again, I'll say it, uh, with Miami, Pitt, and Duke, they've all been bitten harder than us so far with the injury bug. You
1: brought it up again. Every time, (laughs) Mike. I just, like, avoid talking about it. I'm not trying to jinx us. I just have to feel like I have to bring it up. It's absolutely true. I feel bad for Duncan. If I have it right, three of their four team captains are out on injury right now, which is incredible. I feel bad because we've been snake bitten in the past by injury, and now we're seeing it happen to other teams. I'm going to knock on wood that it doesn't end up happening to us. We've been we've been very lucky in being healthy. Their offensive SP, I think they're about eighty-eight based on advanced stats. Our defense is number eight. Effectively their offense is is setting up to have a really tough day. That said, when it comes to Cutcliffe he finds a way to make the most of the players that he has on you know on the roster. They, they just shouldn't be putting the ball in the air. is probably my best bet in this game and probably going to be to their detriment. That said, I'm a little bit frightened by their quarterback. I think you mentioned this as well. He seems to have come in, and he's coming in for Cirque, who also had a season-ending injury. And he's played pretty well, actually, if you look at his stats. Daniel Jones
0: is who Robbie's talking about. And Sorry, Daniel Jones. Yeah, for, no, he, he really has been good. He's a freshman. He's 6'5", 210. So he, he's got a big big frame. And he's played really well for being a freshman back there. 62.5% completion, 7.0 average, 11 touchdowns. He does have nine interceptions, but five of them came in one game against UVA. And since that UVA game, the three games since, Only one interception, and he's played really well the last two games against Louisville, who you might remember Duke was within 10 points of, and Georgia Tech, who they had to have a big comeback, but they only lost to Georgia Tech by three after being down big at halftime. He can run, too, which is the part that kind of scares me the most. For an inexperienced quarterback, when they can run, that's almost the most dangerous thing against Virginia Tech because... A more experienced quarterback would be likely to stick with his reads. A less experienced quarterback is going to be more likely to take off and run. And to me, that's very frightening. He's averaging 3.4 yards per carry, and that's after you – you know that's with sacks included. It's even higher if you take out sacks, and he's got three TDs on the ground. So he's a very good player and clearly someone we're going to have to be dealing with now for the next three years when it comes to Duke. But the, the supporting cast isn't what it's been in years past at at Duke, especially with the loss of Duncan,
1: right. And now Sean Wilson is going to have to take over for primary running back duties. I think for the team, he has 373 yards on 90 carries. I think he's actually pretty good on the ground. I don't know if it's as much a, a loss because of of the running back in Duncan. Even though I think he was a really great player, it's a loss of the depth. And that is even more important is you, you now have one primary running back before you had a primary and then a guy that you felt confident in behind him. So I think that's going to be a big loss in the run game on the past game. uh, TJ ramming is the guy to watch. He continues to be, we talked about him in the preseason. He has 42 receptions for 409 yards. He only has one TD though. So I don't know if it's in the red zone. I haven't gone back and watched all their games. He's like their
0: possession receiver, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean he's he's what Isaiah Ford was in the last game, right? So <laughs> he's he's he didn't score that much in 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 the red zone area, and maybe they're trying to mix things up, and Cutcliffe is trying to do something sneaky. But then you have other players. Their tight end Schneider has three TDs, and then you have Anthony Nash, twenty nine care or twenty nine receptions for. Almost 400 yards and another two TDs. So, I think in the ways that he's done in the past, and pretty similar to what Fuente would like to do in his offense, he likes to spread the ball around if he has the personnel to do it. And the reason
0: maybe for the low TDs for these guys, because you know Roming should probably have more than just one touchdown with how many receptions he has, like you said. And Anthony Nash being six five. 200 like he worries me and he and he can go deep too um you know they're 92nd in scoring offense with 25 24 and a half points per game but they're have like 400 yards per game average so they're actually getting more yards than you know than points that should be scored they're not they're not making the most of their opportunities basically and hopefully that doesn't change this game but Schneider and the other tight end Helm, who's only a sophomore, they have five touchdowns combined, and and that could be an area that I think Duke could could uh, could really focus on and hurt our defense. They also got one other guy by the name of Jonathan Lloyd, six one one ninety. He's got twenty three receptions and two touchdowns. So basically, they've been spreading the ball around. We you know that's five different playmakers in terms of catching the ball. None of them are to the level. Of like McCaffrey, who they had last year, and uh, and Duncan, but because Duncan had six TDs, and you know now he's gone. So Wilson is a good running back. You, you said him, and like he he's more of a between the between the tackles type runner, even though he's only five eight or five nine one eighty. But we we lucked out because the playmaking of Duncan is really the only true X factor they have in this offense. I'm worried about Nash because of his height, but no one else is really, is really worrying me. If I was Duke, you know, I would, I would throw to these tight ends and I would try to get, you know, around the outside with, with Wilson, but I'm not sure that suits his talents.
1: Yeah. am hundred percent agreeing. It's, I think it's a limited squad if I had to characterize it. And when you give, Bud Foster a limited squad he usually does pretty pretty well I, except for you know trying to think back to to years past when you had just dynamic playmakers and he's usually willing to give up the big 40 or 50 yard pass or rush up to the number one player on the team but he wants to make sure as a whole that he has it contained and this sets up very well for a bud foster defense which he's quintessentially willing to give up the big plays as long as the 9 out of 10 other plays are contained.
0: Yeah, the only thing that worries me is those the scrambling the scrambling plays by Jones that are bound to happen. They are going to happen. Just don't give up a 20-yard run to the quarterback. Just try to keep it give maybe he gets a 15-yarder, you know, a 10-yarder here or there. But don't give up the big running play to the quarterback. Don't leave some gaping side of the field open for him to run down. We should be okay defensively. In regards to their defense, that, that's been their stronger side of the ball. And while their defensive line isn't very strong, they've got A.J. Wolf back, five sacks, uh, Don McDonald, Marquise Price. But really the linebackers and DBs are, are the better portions of this defense. And Ben Humphrey is someone that jumped out to me statistically.
1: Yeah, he's got 31 tackles, 8.5 for a loss, 2.5 sacks. Um, Joe Giles-Harris with 35, 7 for a loss, and 3 sacks. And then Wolf, as you mentioned, is, is back. He has 5 sacks on the year. But their 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 passing down rate has not been great. And it's if you look at Havoc rate, which we begin to talk about on this podcast, it's pretty much abysmal. So on on that side of of the ball and what they're doing on the pass game, I think that this could be another game where you know we end up if we can, if the offensive line plays to the way that they did against Pitt, which they played really well in the pass game, this could be another offensive heavy game. I think. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, basically, their defense. I think skews stronger towards the back. That's the only thing that gives me a little pause in terms of saying like, we're going to pass a the field that, and also Evan's ankle, but Corbin McCarthy senior safety, he's thrown up stats. He leads the team in tackles for loss and has three and a half sacks and Breon borders, a guy we've talked about before nine pass breakups. He's been a blanket back there and has two picks on the year. If Evans was fully healthy, I would have no problem saying, yeah, Fuente's just going to do what he does. Because this defense, is it's okay, but it's nothing spectacular. I'm wondering if Motley's going to get some run coming in and doing like some option sets and stuff. And and if that's the case, you might see us run. Because they are 71st against the rush. So they're giving up 174 yards per game. It's something that I feel like we might see. But it, what we've seen from Fuente is that he likes to put it in the air. We don't see the traditional running game. We don't see a lot of. We'll see, uh, you know, Evans optioning it and that kind of thing. And that's why I think we might see some of Motley to come in and do when Fuente wants to run that with Evans. Maybe he'll come in with Motley and do it and and pop a pass here and there to keep him honest.
1: Well, to yeah, and what you meant, I think in the clarification, it's is we've seen the pass game. That's not what Fuente wants to do. But that's what he's going to do because he sees there is much more strength in the receivers that we have on this team, I think, than the running backs combined with the offensive line. So if Fuente had his druthers, he'd, you know, run he'd run the ball whatever three fifths of the time and pass the ball two fifths of the time. That would probably be ideal for him. That he calls himself a, a run first offense. I feel like he thinks there's too much strength on this in this wide receiving core for our team to, to go away from that. And it, we saw it during pit. We kept rushing the ball up the middle, rushing the ball, up the middle, rushing up the ball in the middle. And then eventually Fuente was like, all right, screw it. Cornelson, Let's just, let's go deep. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, and Fuente is someone who
0: will play to his strengths. He will take the players he has and formulate a team and a game plan around it. And, you're right. In that respect, we probably will see a lot of passing, but I would expect the the play calls to be about 50-50 in this game because it's not like this running D is super scary. They've got some decent linebackers and and the strength of their DBs would make me think Fuente will try to to do some more running in this game than he did against Pitt anyway. Generally, you know, I don't think Duke will do anything to force him to like stay
1: out of his comfort zone. So, this is a game that we should absolutely win on paper, but that's why you play the game. Cutcliffe is a scary coach. He does a lot of things with talent, that, or lack of talent, I should say, that he doesn't have. He puts them in the right places. He puts together good schemes. That's how they beat Notre Dame. Even though Notre Dame's having a down year, they have four times the talent that Duke has on their roster overall even with players out and their defense being shoddy this year, they absolutely we should we should absolutely win this game, but it's not something that you want to overlook. Because Cutcliffe finds a way to put together a decent scheme, thinks about it a lot, puts his players in the right place. And you gotta go into this game heads up. And to put it the way that Fuente always does, this is a this is a we need to get one win. This week, that's all that matters. We have Four games left on the season, and don't overlook it. This is a team that has shown and beaten teams that have way superior talent and way better schemes than they do, and they've still come out and played gritty and and won games. So it's, it's not a letdown game whatsoever because everybody's looking at it going, we need to beat Duke because we haven't. But it's a game that we should all pay attention to.
0: Yeah, because even if they're not good this year, which they haven't been, they are competent. More competent than a typical bad team. And there's something that you should you should worry about on the road. Before we get into our picks, do you want to do one more beer break? Yeah, you're you're up. Sticking with the Halloween theme, I am drinking the Dogfish Head Flesh and Blood IPA. I've never had this beer, but I love Dogfish Head, being from Delaware, it's it's one of my favorite breweries. And anytime I can have a blood orange IPA or blood orange beer in general, I'm I'm all over it. I I said when I was drinking the Jade, I'm I'm a fan of of that type of IPA and uh this one's brewed with orange peel, lemon and uh and blood orange juice as well. So it's seven and a half percent alcohol, but it drinks pretty smooth and I don't know. I mean, it's it's not my favorite dog fish head by any stretch, but just like all their other stuff, it's, it's really good. So I'm liking it. Robbie, what are you having?
1: It's Halloween, so I mixed it up. Uh, I, I went with a white Belgian, and now I'm going with an Oktoberfest. <laughs> so I don't think we've had this one on here. I had to check our website and everything to make sure, but... We had a bunch of Oktoberfests on here. I had the Aleworks Oktoberfest, which we did another Aleworks beer, but I think it was a pumpkin. Yep. And it's actually pretty good. Another one that I have on tap, I uh, I popped it in the old keg kegerator. It was literally the only Oktoberfest that they had left at the store, so I bought it. It's really good, actually. I wouldn't say it's exceptional, but and I don't drink a lot of Oktoberfest, but it's not too... It's not too like dark and malty it's got a little bit of brightness to it for for the oktoberfest say it's a nice marzen and i like it a lot ale works we've had on a few times it's a good brewery probably not one of the best out there but overall i thought they put together a pretty good beer it might be second class to some of the other oktoberfests out there but for me as a guy that doesn't like them if i can keep drinking them then uh it's a pretty good beer
0: well, it's the last day of October, so you had to squeeze that one in, I suppose. Also, the beauty of AleWorks is it's from Virginia, right?
1: That's right. So it's a um, it's it's local grown for this podcast, at least. And I remember probably really, not so much for you, actually. <laughs> I re- well,
0: I remember really liking their their pumpkin ale that we had on the podcast last year. Uh, I'd like to try some of their other stuff. and I love Oktoberfest. I'm sure I'd like it a lot. The line on this game has already been moving, and Virginia Tech, who is number 23, which I think is a little too um, too high in terms of, uh, I think we should be in the teens, but that's besides the point. We, we've grown from a nine-point favorite to now an 11.5-point favorite on the road at Duke. And I feel like this is happening every week with the Virginia Tech Lions, where they just grow and grow and grow. Uh, Every
1: spread has grown, I think, it, in the
0: last four weeks. The only one that didn't was, I think, Pitt started at 3.5, then jumped to 4.5, then went back to 3.5. But mm. most of them, like the Syracuse line went up like three points, and the ECU line went up three points, and and this one's been moving. I'm torn on it, but I'm going to take Duke against 115 whether it's because of Evan's injury worries or just Cutcliffe in general and and the way we've played on the road, we haven't dominated on the road in any of our games. So
1: I'm going to take Duke against that 11 and a half. I'm taking VT, and the, the reasons are the same as yours, but the opposite is this is a game that now Fuente – can He can use Syracuse as an example. He can use the you know other road games as an example. He can use this as a reason that we need to get prepared and play well. And I think he puts together a really good scheme that doesn't match up well for, for Duke. So I'm actually going VT on this one by, I think, two touchdowns.
0: You know, we did dominate on the road once. It was against UNC, but that, you know.
1: <laughs> that, the hurricane game, everybody is disregarded, evidently. Yeah, and even me, I guess,
0: subconsciously. But in any case, next game is Louisville against BC. Louisville's number five, narrowly escaped UVA last weekend. And they're on the road in Chestnut Hill, which is just a really funny matchup in general.
1: Louisville is a 25-point favorite. Robbie, who do you like? Taking BC, 25-point spread. If there's anything that we learned from last week and probably a couple weeks prior is that some of these spreads are getting outrageous. People can keep it close when they want to. BC's defense is not that bad, and I'm not going to say that they showed an offense, but I think they can score maybe a couple touchdowns in this game potentially and keep it within 25.
0: Well, NC State screwed me again last week because they gave BC – Their first ACC wins in two seasons, and I had taken NC State minus 15. I can't figure out NC State this year. But Louisville, on the other hand, nearly loses to UVA, but when they almost lost to Duke a couple weeks ago, they came back with a bounce-back performance. Long and short of it, I'm taking UL with 25 points. I think they win by 31. We'll see what happens. Pitt at Miami is the next game. Miami's a a 3.5-point favorite which this line stinks to high heaven to me. I do not understand Miami now having four losses in a row, how they're a a three-and-a-half-point favorite against this Pitt team who maybe we're biased because we think Pitt is a really tough team, but
1: that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm taking Pitt. I'm on the same page of where you're going, so I think you're taking Pitt as well. I am taking Pitt, but when
0: a line stinks, it worries me. Next game is Georgia Tech against UNC. UNC's number 18, and they are 10.5-point favorites against Georgia Tech in the triple option. I'm taking the Tar Heels. I think they're way better than Georgia Tech.
1: I'm taking the Tar Heels as well. We'll keep it straightforward. I think they are just a better team, and they'll show it this week. Next game is UVA at Wake Forest.
0: My Demon Deacons, who lost to Army last weekend in kind of a surprise game, but Army has shown some life this year. I have a question mark next to this game. I did make a pick, but I don't have a clue. With the way UVA played against Louisville, I'm going to take Wake because that was an emotional loss for UVA, and it's in Winston-Salem. But I'm not confident. Wake minus three for me.
1: I'm going UVA, and I have no confidence in this whatsoever. I don't even know what could happen in this game, especially after – I don't even – I can't understand how UVA kept that game close, but they did. So I'm taking taking UVA. We'll go oppo again. It'll probably end up a push.
0: Next game is Qs at Clemson. This is kind of a funny one. And Clemson's number three after their big win over Florida State. And they are 27-point favorites
1: against the high-flying Orange. I'm taking Cues. Absolutely. That 27 points in against Clemson – Clemson's number three, but they've all their games have been close. So say they come out and they don't make it close and they win by three touchdowns, 27 points seems outrageous. Obviously, Vegas knows something, and we're going to look like idiots, but no chance.
0: Yeah, I think the only team Clemson has blown out this year in FBS was Boston College. So And
1: you're up against a high-flying <laughs> offense. You never want a 27-point spread against a high-flying offense, why would you ever take that? We they may might, lose, but it's not a good bet. <laughs> they
0: could injure a dungeon on the first play, but, but who knows? Next game is FSU at NC State. Like I said, the Wolfpack have confused the crap out of me this year. I'm taking Florida State. Uh, hopefully they can uh, bounce back because that was devastating for them in Tallahassee last weekend.
1: I'm going bounce back. I have FSU as well. I can't figure out NC State. I don't know what they're doing week to week.
0: So the last two games are out
1: of conference. We're going to go
0: Nebraska at Ohio State. Nebraska's number nine. Ohio State is number six. And they're both kind of coming off losses. Ohio State did win last week, but they lost to Penn State the week before. And Nebraska just lost to Wisconsin. Ohio State is a 17-point favorite, even though they're both one-loss teams. It's in the horseshoe. I'm going to take Nebraska, and it's just something about JT Barrett this year. He hasn't progressed the way I thought he would. You're a little closer to the situation, having a wife who's a big fan of OSU, but I'm taking Nebraska.
1: Also Nebraska. I can't. I respect OSU. I can imagine them having a bounce back in this game, but they just ran a close one against Northwestern, and there was as much to prove in that game about having – you know really coming out and dominating a team that you should beat and they didn't they there was a chance they could have lost that game I'm going Nebraska they showed their worth against Wisconsin last week in a close game that cost me my 8-0 which would have been awesome and I think they're going to end up you know losing this game but I think they can keep it within a couple touchdowns and
0: the last game we're going to pick is Alabama versus LSU And Bama's number one, LSU is number 15. After really turning it on the last few weeks, I've been very surprised by LSU. Coach O's got it going down there. And this is probably the closest spread Bama's had all season. They're minus seven on the road in Death Valley.
1: This was hard for me, but I'm not going against Bama right now. I'm going down with the ship. This is 4 for 4. I may end up losing against calling against Alabama. <laughs> this literally 4 for 4. It's uh, it's really tough to say. I'm going LSU. I let's just leave it at that. I'm not going to rationalize it <laughs> other than they seem to be playing a better game. It's in Death Valley. It's going to be a tough one. Maybe Bama spanks them by 25, but whatever. I'm going.
0: I mean, if you're going back to my A&M logic, when I picked A&M to cover the spread, it's at some point this has to end. But now I've gone to the point where it's like, I'm going to pick MAMA until it ends. So that, that's how I'm going.
1: Well, the next one you're going to get is Auburn then, so that oh, should be yeah. even
0: more interesting. Which the Iron Bowl should be really entertaining this year, which should, which was unexpected at the start of the season. But Auburn has been really good. All right, Robbie, I think that's it. I don't have any real closing thoughts. I think we covered it all. We just need to take care of business this weekend.
1: Let's do it. Let's win this game. We have four. We have three games that matter, and a fourth that would be nice to win. We got a lot ahead of us, a lot of motion, and let's just hope for the best, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just let's go down to Durham and let's let's finish off the Dukies. They're they're not good, and. If you're a good team that's going to compete for the ACC title, you should go down and beat them. As always, if you have questions or comments, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT or on Gmail, 2DVT at gmail.com. You can stream every episode on our website. It's 2DVT.com. And subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you're a subscriber already, throw us a review. We've had some really good reviews this season on iTunes and uh, they're all much appreciated and they really help us out until next week when we're reviewing a big win over Duke and going into, you know, the annual slog fest that is Georgia tech go Hokies.